So today we're talking to Sean. Hi, Sean. Hey. Great to have you back. And uh, today we're going to explore topic of SQL. Um, so where would we start with SQL? Well, you know, uh, I I started working with databases early on in my career, um, mm -hmm. but I was doing Assembler and COBOL back in the day and worked for an mm -hmm. insurance company that decided to build uh, a hierarchical database engine in Assembler. Wow. Uh, and I was on that team and got to write some interesting assembly code, which ultimately became part of uh, a database implementation. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't end up actually doing anything with SQL itself until probably, well, probably the early 2000s. Um, mm -hmm. All the databases I'd worked with were things like hierarchical databases or object databases. That was kind of a big thing in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started doing web development and started using more traditional databases and started working with SQL. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me, took me a while to really kind of get comfortable with SQL. And, you know, I remember giving a conference talk early in the 2000s and you know, admitted on stage that I, I'd written my first join that week, um, you know, which, you know, looking back seems crazy, but, uh, you know, I'd managed to get away with using very, very basic stuff for mm -hmm. a long, long time. Right. Uh, and, you know, these days I'm working with SQL a lot mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, find myself working with very complex queries. Right. Um, Right, and, and you, so you. <laughs> in, in the Clojure world, when I started to get into Clojure, uh, it really kind of surprised me that there wasn't a well-maintained JDBC library for Clojure. Mm -hmm. um, the Contrib library, Clojure SQL, was it Clojure Contrib SQL? Uh, no one was maintaining that in the 1.2 days. That had sort of stopped being maintained. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept sort of saying, you know, look, is, is this going to get migrated over to 1.3? Is the monolithic contrib get split up? And I think eventually it was Stu Halloway said, you know, if you're so keen to do SQL development and JDBC stuff in Clojure, feel free to take it over. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of how I ended up maintaining Clojure Java JDBC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was still really learning about JDBC and learning about databases. Um, but I found it very strange that no one in the closure world seemed to be doing that. Um, Interesting. People were using, you know, other types of databases, document databases, key value databases, all sorts of other stuff, but mm -hmm. no one was doing, you know, heavy lifting in SQL. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, fast forward a decade now that I've been doing closure, and, you know, a lot of people are doing web development with closure, uh, and a lot of people are using Postgres uh, right. or some other database. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been really interesting to see the, the profile of kind of support requests and feature requests and bug reports that I had got across Clojure Java JDBC mm -hmm. um, as people started using it more heavily and using it with databases um, that I had had some experience with, like Oracle mm -hmm. um, or Teradata, which I hadn't even heard of when someone filed a, a bug report about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people were coming in and saying, oh, I'm using this weird database here. Uh, and I'd go look, and sure enough, it had a JDBC driver, and, 
they'd say, oh, yeah, you've got a Docker image, you can run tests against it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've, as I've been maintaining these, I've, I've learned a lot more than I ever thought I needed to know about um, database dialects uh, and, and the peculiarities of JDBC itself. Right. So I guess the most popular choices these days would be like Postgres, as you mentioned, then maybe MySQL. Uh, mm -hmm. I know... Uh, I know there's also H2, which I think is like more in-memory database. Is that correct? Yeah, um, H2 can be in-memory or on-disk. Um, mm -hmm. I use it for testing. Uh, the Clojure, Java JDBC, and now the next JDBC library are both tested against a, a range of databases, including mm -hmm. several that are either in-memory or local, things like SQLite, Apache Derby, uh, right. H2, um, HSQLDB. Uh, mm -hmm. and also MySQL and SQL Server and Postgres. Those are the, right. the main ones. Maria, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is a variant of MySQL. Yeah. Do you have any uh, theory? Yeah, I get the impression yeah. that people mostly are using Postgres. Right. Do you have any theory why at the beginning when you started with all of this, people were not using SQL or was this? I think Clojure attracted a, an unusual segment of the IT world. Mm -hmm. um, people were coming to Clojure not to do sort of standard apps, but were to were solving unusual problems. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so much so that I, I gave a presentation at Clojure West mm -hmm. years ago, I can't even remember when, probably 2012, uh, called Doing Boring Things in an Interesting Language. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of that was about, you know, a lot of the low-level stuff we were doing, which was, you know, CRUD and, and other database-related stuff and, and very sort of basic library stuff, mm -hmm. which at the time seemed unusual because a lot of people in the closure world were tackling these big, complex distributed problems or, um, you know, various data analyses but mm -hmm. weren't using traditional databases as, as part of that. Mm -hmm. And now, as it's expanded, as we've got a lot more people in the community, we see a lot more standard database stuff. Mm -hmm. So you end up uh, maintaining this closure Java JDBC, right? Mm -hmm. And when was the moment where you feel like you want to do something else and or you want to, to take it to the, I would say, next step and write, started to write the next uh, JDBC? Well, as I've been shepherding um, Java JDBC through the, the years, I, I already made several breaking changes to the API. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the, the point two to the point three, and then again in the point six series. And it was getting to the point where the idea of not doing breaking changes uh, and maintaining backward compatibility was solidifying a lot more in the closure community. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was in the, the, the point seven series with Java JDBC, I was running into a, a lot of sort of ugly aspects of working with it, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, my choices were really to, to add a new API and maintain mm -hmm. the old one. Mm -hmm. um, or to write a new library. And mm -hmm. in the end, I decided to write a new library and start from scratch so I could drop all of the backward compatibility. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the goals were really to get closer to the metal of JDBC. Um, Closure Java JDBC 
uses a hash map to describe uh, connections and data sources and all sorts of things. And it builds closure data structures as a result of doing the query. And you don't have a huge amount of control about what you can do with that. Um, and it was also very difficult to do certain very large scale operations um, because you had to be careful about the connection being opened and closed and managed properly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I sat down and said, okay, what would be a really nice tight wrapper around JDBC that also allowed you to stream very large data sets and take advantage of, um, you know, reduce and things like that. And a couple of people had sort of prodded me on that. Um, Gadi had uh, created a little example of how you could produce uh, a reducible from, um, you know, doing queries and then reduce over the, the results. And a uh, hired man, who's my teammate now at work, was also sort of pushing for that. And so that's why next JDBC um, traffics in the underlying Java objects of mm -hmm. connections and data sources, uh, and also has the idea of a plan for a query, which returns a reducible. Mm -hmm. And then when you reduce it, it manages the connections for you. Um, and that lets you stream very large data sets you can't get in memory mm -hmm. uh, and reduce them to do something with them. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the guiding principles for it. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I hadn't got the API fully designed enough before I started releasing it and, and letting people use it. So there's a couple of things I might change if I was doing it from scratch. Um, mm -hmm. But I've been very careful not to break backward compatibility. Um, I mean, there was, there was one thing I added, execute batch in an early release that I added in one namespace and deprecated that and, and surfaced it in another namespace mm -hmm. because it made for a better API. The initial mm -hmm. decision to put it in that one namespace was a bad right. decision. Um, yeah. I feel like... Things like protocols where I would keep those all in one namespace instead of right. scattered across the library, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, sometimes when people ask for example libraries to look at, and uh, I, th I see sometimes NextJDBC being uh, positioned as, like, as a good example how to structure a library, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you have very good documentation there. Uh, and I was wondering also sort of this, uh, this comes back to what you maybe already said, but how do you, how do you design like a library? How do you, where do you start? Do you start with an API? Do you start with some kind of problem and build from there? Like, what's your thought process when you do that? Definitely, I started from a set of goals and uh, a problem statement, mm -hmm. um, which was around producing a, a fast but idiomatic way to interact with databases. Mm -hmm. um, JDBC itself has a lot of, of weird classes and a lot of weird interactions and structures that I wanted to mostly hide. Mm -hmm. while still exposing uh, some of the Java classes uh, for performance. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I, I could have done some more experimentation with exactly how I laid the API out and laid the namespaces out. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, there... I'm 
yeah. mostly happy with it. <laughs> what, what would be the thing that you would change now? What, what's on your mind? I, I would definitely not mix the protocols in with the code. Um, okay. That that made for some. It's it's made for some peculiar uses uh, when you're extending the library, because mm -hmm. you can't just pull in the protocols namespace and write your definitions. You end up having to pull in multiple namespaces, um, and so it's also meant that even within the library, when I've wanted to extend it to do other things, um, the library internally has to. Um, use namespaces where really all it wants is a protocol mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't really need to drag in a lot of the other code and that led to a couple of hacks that I did to work around what would have been circular namespace dependencies and things like that mm -hmm. um, Dude was very helpful when I was trying to untangle one piece of that because he wanted to make it work on Graal Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd actually ended up with a dynamic require in the middle of it because of mm -hmm. that, because I needed to break a dependency chain. Um, so yeah, that's that's one thing. I I would probably have taken a much harder stand on making people use qualified namespaces. <laughs> um, I see. It seems like the number one pushback I get on the default with that is, oh, you know. It, it produces qualified keys in, in hash maps, and I don't like them. And I, I got so kind of tired of pushing back on it that I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll add in some builder functions that let you produce plain right. hash maps. And I kind of wish I hadn't done that, and I stood my ground on that. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's only so much purity that you can, you can stand on with a library. Right. Uh, and uh, the other library that you also maintaining is uh, HoneySQL. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, uh, mm -hmm. and that was because we we were heavy users of it at work. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is HoneySQL? Oh, sorry. Yes, it's yeah. a library that takes a closure data structure uh, mm -hmm. that represents uh, SQL and it produces SQL from it. Mm -hmm. um, so. The main parts of SQL statements are represented as hash maps. So mm -hmm. select, insert, update, delete, those are hash maps. And then expressions are represented as vectors. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you you have a data structure that is essentially prefix style expressions, but written as vectors originally with just keywords mm -hmm. uh, and hash maps. And you can programmatically construct and compose those because it's just data uh, and then you say well format it as a SQL string and all of the parameters and it automatically lifts all of the parameters out of the data for you mm -hmm. and um, we were heavy users of that at work because we had several applications where we were programmatically building complex SQL queries from mm -hmm. little fragments um, and one of my colleagues at the time gave a presentation at Closure West, I think in 2015, mm -hmm. about our use of it. Uh, and then the maintainer kind of drifted away from it, Justin Kramer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I said, well, you know, would you mind if I took it over? I'd already been working with him on you know, contributions. And so that's how I've ended up maintaining that. Mm -hmm. um, and when I took it over, there was, there were, you know, some outstanding things that 
um, various people wanted from it. It was, it had originally been very focused on being a vendor neutral mm -hmm. library, so it didn't support things that weren't sort of core ANSI SQL. Uh, okay. which led to things like a Postgres extensions library that Nilenso was maintaining. Um, but other databases never seemed to get enough traction for them to also get those extension libraries, and we were using MySQL very heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took on a rewrite of HoneySQL uh, and rebuilt it from the ground up with the goals of being, um, first off, much more inclusive so that it essentially had Postgres as the default dialect, mm -hmm. uh, but also supported other databases. Uh, and the intent was also that it was easier to extend and maintain so that you could register your own formatters with it without having to deal with multi-methods or, or protocol extensions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that it was just data, just functions. Right, and uh, HoneySQL is mainly for querying, right? There is, if you want to describe your schema and stuff like this, you would not do this in HoneySQL. Well, that was one of the interesting things. When when I took it on, um, mm -hmm. it didn't have any DDL support at all, and mm -hmm. it really was just, uh, you know, CRUD operations. It was it was SQL querying, rather than right. DDL. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very good for doing SQL queries. Um, it was okay for doing updates and inserts and deletes, um, but there were certainly a lot of things with inserts that you couldn't do in HoneySQL, you couldn't do very easily. And part of the, the thing with the Postgres uh, HoneySQL extension that Nilenso was maintaining was that it provided a whole bunch of DDL. Mm -hmm. And there were some people who weren't using Postgres who were then using that library just to get the DDL support. Mm -hmm. So as part of the 2.0 rewrite, I said, well, I'm going to support all of ANSI SQL. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, that meant doing a lot of DDL stuff. Uh, although DDL is kind of weird because it's not as standardized as SQL. Mm -hmm. um, and so the new version of the library, yeah, you can, you can do a lot of the DDL functions in it. Um, it supports uh, things like uh, CTEs, which was again something that the old version never did. Um, and that's been an interesting journey for me because, as I said earlier, you know, I'd really only come into SQL when I got into web development and mm -hmm. I was only doing very, very simple stuff with it to start with. Mm -hmm. And the more I worked with it, the more complex SQL that I worked with. Um, and began to discover all this world of SQL that I had to learn mm -hmm. to support Honey SQL. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so looking at the broader picture, if you will, of Clojure, there is also some other libraries that sort mm -hmm. of help us work with Clojure. I know there is uh, Hack SQL yeah. or Hack SQL. Yeah. Um, uh, Hack SQL takes the approach of you write SQL in files uh, and the library reads the file and creates closure functions that wrap what's in those SQL files. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who, who really like having their SQL separate in a file. They get SQL code coloring. They don't have to worry about bashing strings together to make SQL strings. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want a DSL because they have a fairly fixed set of queries. Right. So hug SQL is really good for that. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, Hugs Equal, I'd say, is, is also really good for things like migrations um, mm -hmm. because you're dealing with a lot of little SQL files. Um, I don't use it myself because most of what I do that I'm working with is either really kind of low-level CRUD where I'm reading and writing hash maps, so NextJDBC mm -hmm. gives me that, or I'm programmatically building more complex queries, and mm -hmm. so I need HoneySQL for the composition. Right. Well, you mentioned one topic uh, that is sort of, I believe, not part of really NextJDBC or HoneySQL is migrations. How do you normally deal with migrations? Um, when we started doing that at work, we decided to write our own custom system. Um, mm -hmm. If we were revisiting that decision, I would definitely want to use one of the existing libraries. Um, there's Migratus and... Uh, I think a that's popular library is Flyway, or that's more uh, Java? Yeah, that, that's Java library, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen a closure wrapper for it, but I, I, I don't know, that didn't feel very natural to me from closure. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, I'm trying to think what the other closure migration library is that's very popular. Of the two, um, you know, it's kind of a toss-up of, of some people prefer one, some people prefer the other. But I definitely, if I was starting from scratch, would not write my own system internally at work. Right. Um, what are the parts of like SQL and uh, of this whole RDBMS do you think are like important maybe also to discuss? Is there anything coming on your, on your mind? I think a lot of people don't realize just how different the databases are. Mm. Um, I mean, there's syntactic differences and semantic differences. Most of the databases try to be reasonably ANSI SQL compliant in their syntax, um, but there's certainly some weird optional edge cases. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, what an example. Um, if you do a query that returns no results, you'd expect to get back a result set that had no rows in it. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that JDBC actually allows for certain functions to return null instead of a result set. Mm -hmm. So for quite a while, next JDBC always tried to return a result set. And then I got a bug report saying, oh, on this database, um, it's blowing up with a null pointer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's ridiculous. How can you not get a result set back from these things when it says a result set's available and you go read, you know, the JTBC spec and it's like, oh, you know, this can optionally return null. And it's like, oh, great. Um, Oracle. Oracle won't return the table name metadata uh, from any queries you do. So if you do get a result set back and you look at the result set metadata, mm -hmm. uh, for the columns, it knows labels and names and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But the get table name function, the method, returns null, always. Mm. They didn't implement it. SQL Server uh, returns null by default, but you can uh, turn on a setting and it will then populate get table name. Uh, other databases just implement that straight away. That's nice. Um, but it's, it's that kind of weirdness where you sort of assume that the natural order of things with JDBC is that mm. it's going to be implemented a particular way, and then when you dig into it, you find that there are 
strange corner cases of how different databases work with it. Right. Um, even in the even in the SQL side of things, that the actual syntax, mm -hmm. uh, as I've worked with Honey SQL, I've had to build dialect support directly into Honey SQL. Um, mm. so that the same data structure produces different results depending on which database you're trying to generate SQL for. Right. Um, you know, an obvious one which I knew about early on was that uh, quoting, when you're quoting names, um, what I still refer to as stropping because okay. my, my old Algol 68 experience, <laughs> they've, you stropped names um, instead of quoting them. But anyway... Um, in MySQL, you use back quotes, back ticks around mm -hmm. identifiers. Yeah. Uh, in ANSI SQL, you use double quotes, and Postgres mm -hmm. does that. Uh, and in SQL Server, you put square brackets around things. Mm -hmm. And that means that, you know, if you have an arbitrary identifier that you're trying to quote, the escaping you have to do in it varies depending on which database dialect you're generating it for. Mm. Uh, and then things like update. Uh, pretty much all databases um, update set has a particular precedence, and MySQL has a different precedence for set. Mm. Uh, and if you you write HoneySQL to implement what MySQL does as the default, which it did at one point, then people doing complex updates in Postgres will complain that it generates invalid SQL. Uh, and, you know, I initially, I hadn't run into the, the MySQL problem, so I thought it was a bug. Mm -hmm. Changed it to match the Postgres problem, and then a MySQL user complained that there was a bug and I'd broken their updates. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, that's where I had to get to the point of, oh, well, you know, now we have to have some way to distinguish between the two types of set mm -hmm. uh, or the two types of dialect. Right. And uh, I think people who use just one database don't realize this mm. because everything works the same way in their world. Right. Um, but if you start trying to write portable SQL uh, or portable programs across multiple databases, it can get to be a lot of work. Um, right. You know, and this this myth that oh well you should you should abstract your database operations because you'll want to change databases at some point. Almost no one does that because mm. it's just too much pain. Right. Um, so right, right. That, that's kind of a, an interesting learning experience if mm. you actually really do start right. working with multiple databases. Yeah. Since you have been doing this uh, for quite a while, I would like to pick your brain a bit on modeling. Uh, would you have any tips for modeling databases and what have you seen in the wild, how people do it, and what would you maybe recommend to do? Oof. The, there are two primary schools of thought there. Um, one is, you know, Model your domain to to make sense for the domain. So mm -hmm. model it completely independent of how you might store the data, and then treat the database as a storage device um, that you are just transforming your data model, your domain model, into something for persistence. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few people I, I know who really adhere to that very strongly. Um, and then. There's the other side that says, well, databases are really good at working with data models. So design your data model to match, you know, as if it was the tables and the relationships. 
uh, and then massage it a little bit as you bring it out of the database um, mm -hmm. and work with it in data. Um, the rise of the sort of the object database back in, I guess, the 90s, things like Poet and stuff like that, uh, was really to try and make the gap between object models uh, and databases much narrower because mm -hmm. otherwise you have you know, all these ORMs and you have a, uh, a big gap because identity isn't the same in objects. The reference itself is your object identity. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the database you have indices. So you have, you know, primary keys and foreign keys. So you've always got that mapping there. Um, personally, for a lot of the stuff that I do, I tend to start from the data model uh, in the database mm -hmm. um, because I'm not the only client of the data. Um, other people in the organization could be writing queries against it and doing reports. And so I want it to be efficient for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I want them to be able to work with it uh, using their own reporting tools independent of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, frankly, in Clojure, we're dealing with, you know, sequences of, of maps. And right. so we're not having to worry about building object graphs from it. So I think in the SQL world, it, in the Clojure world, it's probably easier to design your data model directly against a database and schema and then to work with pure data on top mm -hmm. of that, doing whatever mm -hmm. transforms you need. Right. I think in object-oriented languages, it's probably better to start with a domain model in memory and figure out what all your objects look like and how they relate, and then figure out how to map it back and forth from a database. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, I guess in general, in Clojure, the, the whole idea of ORM is not really popular, right? Uh, no. So. Um, I mean, there are a couple of libraries that kind of simulate that. I think Korma was probably the most popular one that mm -hmm. um, you defined entities uh, and so you had a way of saying, well, this is my sort of schema for this object. Mm -hmm. um, and then it took care of how to map that to and from the database. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't feel that it's very idiomatic for Clojure. I feel that the more plain data approach works better. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, would there be anything else uh, for SQL uh, that you think it would be worth to share? Um, I, I think that a lot of people who are using um, Java JDBC, which does have a reducible query idea, uh, and NextJDBC haven't yet really gotten used to treating queries as reducibles. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even as Clojureans, we're still kind of getting our heads around things like transducers mm -hmm. um, and transducing pipelines. So I think that's an area where I'd, I'd love to see people lean into that more heavily um, mm -hmm. because the nice thing is you can say, well, you know, here is a query that I'm going to be doing um, and I can carry it around as a kind of an abstract thing and then I can perform, you know, a full sort of transducing pipeline over the top of that knowing that it will manage the connection for me, opening it and closing it mm -hmm. uh, and knowing that it will allow me to, on most databases, stream uh, chunks of data from the database into memory 
on demand. So it's kind of like treating the database as a lazy sequence mm -hmm. uh, and then eagerly uh, reducing over it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a very powerful idiom. Um, we use it quite a lot at work. Uh, and I get the impression that that's still not widely used in the way that people are working with it, particularly when mm -hmm. they start off with simple database stuff. Sure. So that's probably the thing I'd, I'd say, please everyone, think about plan, think <laughs> about reducible queries uh, right. and lean into that because I think that that has a, a lot of benefit for how you interact with databases. Mm -hmm. And this is also, I believe, part of the next JDBC documentation somewhere? Yes, definitely. Um, there's, it, although it introduces execute and execute one for doing sort of standard stuff that gives you back data structures, mm -hmm. uh, it does try to focus on plan as a, a way to process data. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives quite a lot of examples. Um, but I, I think it, it still doesn't give the right balance in the documentation to really encourage that. And it's something that I plan to, to have a go mm -hmm. at trying to fix at some point. Um, but I find it a, a very helpful way to think about what I'm going to be doing with the data that comes back. If I'm not mm -hmm. just bringing back a single map or, you know, a set of maps, if I'm actually going to be doing processing on data, I try to make sure that I think from a, a plan point first, uh, and look at it as saying, well, I'm going to reduce over this data that's in the database and, um, either do whatever side effects I need or produce whatever result from that that I need. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right. And if someone would like to uh, reach out or get anything, any kind of support, uh, what are the best places to like? Uh, well, ask? I'm very active on Slack, on the Closure in Slack. There's a SQL channel and mm -hmm. there's a Honey SQL channel. Mm -hmm. uh, and the SQL channels, you know, where anyone can go to get help on SQL itself or any of the different SQL libraries. Hug SQL has its own channel, but some people come into there and ask about uh, Hug SQL. Um, mm -hmm. Migrations is another thing folks can come in there and ask. Uh, and if they have a feature request or they think they found a bug, then I'm very happy for folks to open issues on the next JDBC or Honey SQL libraries mm -hmm. uh, on GitHub. Right. Um, Closure Java JDBC, although it's still pretty widely used, is considered stable and in maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. So it really only gets security updates now. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, at work we actually still have a lot of code using Java JDBC alongside mm -hmm. Next JDBC, but we try mm -hmm. and convert code over to Next JDBC as we go, um, and try and make sure all new code is written using it. Cool. Uh, would there be anything else? Uh, no, I, uh, I'm just glad to see more people are using JDBC and SQL databases these days right. with Clojure. I think it reflects Clojure going a lot more mainstream, uh, than it was a decade ago. Right. Uh, you know, people yeah. are working with much more traditional infrastructure. Yeah. And I guess I need to say thank you for maintaining all of this complexity so we can just use one library across different, <laughs> different backends, if you will. Office, uh... Yeah, it's it's been very interesting just to see how much complexity there is under the surface. And, you know, I've kind of gone from being a one database view of the world to a multi-database view of the right. world. Right. Yeah, and I guess you're also on GitHub sponsors. So if uh, there's someone listening and your company is using uh, NextJDBC or HoneySQL, well, please support Sean. 
Well, thank you very much. Yes, that definitely helps me find time to work on these open source projects. Um, Absolutely. And has definitely been a, a, a big vehicle for allowing me to do much more extensive documentation on these projects as well. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, I catch you another time. Thanks. Great to chat with you, Jacek. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.